Welcome to the Madam Athlete Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Giselle Arney. I'm a sports medicine physician with a passion for teaching and a mission to support other women with careers in this space. On this show, you'll hear the stories from amazing women in their field of sport and athletics. They'll share their journeys, triumphs, and hardships in order to help and inspire you in your own career and life. Thanks for joining us. Let's do this. On today's episode, I'm talking to orthopedic surgeon Dr. Stacy Grossfeld about being ready for the next challenge. Stacy has her own orthopedic practice in Louisville and values the independence she's found as a surgeon employed outside of the hospital system. To keep her own practice running, Stacy's continually learning new skills to stay fresh and current. She purposefully avoids falling into the trap of thinking that her expertise in one field, like medicine, is enough to make her successful in another, like her businesses. We talk about how Stacy first considered a different pathway to pursue her vision of helping people and athletes return to sport before deciding that orthopedics was right for her. To create balance with whatever else is going on in her life, Stacy has created boundaries in her work, but has also allowed them to change and adapt over the years. And Stacy runs multiple side businesses and attributes her success to making sure that her focus is always on the task at hand. Hi, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thanks for having me. This is really exciting for me. We had um, a friend of the podcast introduce us, and so I'm really thrilled about that. I always start off with the educational journey, and I'm curious for you. You sort of went right through undergrad, biology, chemistry, med school, ortho residency, ortho sports medicine fellowship. I was wondering... Were you always thinking from the very beginning that you wanted to be an orthopedic sports medicine surgeon? Was that the original plan or how did your sort of educational journey unfold? Well, it's interesting. I grew up in a really small town in northern Wisconsin. I went to a high school that had about 200 students. We were literally in the middle of the national forest. Um, The closest town that even had a stoplight was about 35 miles away. So um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I grew up. Um, My family was originally from Baltimore. My grandfather was a general surgeon who passed away when I was quite young. So I don't really recall him or remember him. So my senior year of high school, I was talking to my biology teacher and he goes, you should be a physical therapist. He goes, you like sports. I was very active. did a lot of competitive sports in high school, cross-country ski race. That was a a bike racer, ran track, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, awesome. I'm going to be a physical therapist. Well, back then there was no internet, so I couldn't go online and even see what a physical therapist did. So I wasn't really sure, Um, but I really respected him. So I decided that I'd go to physical therapy school. So I applied to, um, at the time I was living in northern Wisconsin, there was only two colleges that had like a pre-physical therapy program that had a therapy program that you could enter straight into. So I applied, I got into a small private school in northern Minnesota called the College of St. Scholastica, which is in Duluth, Minnesota, and thought I better volunteer to see exactly what a physical therapist did because I really wasn't sure at this point. I knew they kind of worked with athletes and injured people, So I started volunteering at a local hospital and um, didn't like it at all. Um, 
So I, uh, it was in a hospital. It was hospital based. It seemed like the physical therapists were kind of always checking their watch to see when their shift was going to be over. It just didn't seem like it was going to be the right place for me. So my family ended up relocating to Southern Indiana between my freshman and sophomore year of college. So when we moved to Southern Indiana, I was like, you know what? I'm going to volunteer at a sports medicine physical therapy place because maybe this is that's more of my gig as opposed to hospital. So I started volunteering at a local hospital and um, a lot of the surgeries were done by one specific surgeon. And I was more interested in the surgical procedure. Like, what did you have done surgery than the the rehab side of it? So I started um shadowing this particular surgeon when I was a now sophomore in college and absolutely loved it. So I decided as a sophomore in college at like an age, I don't know, 19, I was becoming an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, I didn't realize it was a field that was really had very few women in it or didn't know a lot about the field outside of what I was seeing done on a day-to-day basis in the operating room and in the office. So when I applied to medical school, you know how they always ask you, so why do you want to be a doctor? So I said, well, because you have to go to medical school to become an orthopedic surgeon. It's part of the process. (laughs) Um, And they're like, oh, you'll change your mind. You know, that's really common for people to come into med school and think they know what they want to do, but then they end up changing their mind. Um, I didn't, you know, I went through medical school um, in four years. I started doing orthopedic research when I was a um, second year medical student and then had already been published and had presented at some national meetings by the time I graduated and then got into my residency at the University of Minnesota and haven't looked back. (laughs) Love my job. I love it. I think this is such a fun story because we talk on this podcast all the time about people taking these twisty turny journeys and even though from the outside I look at your CV and it just looks like great this woman wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon done she made it happen that that wasn't the original plan you were encouraged in this PT route you gave it a try you said all right let's test this out figure this out and then you found what was for you and then you did go after it um but the very beginning there was not this like yep ever since I was five I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon and now you have this incredible, amazing practice, and it's it's I'm from the outside again. Looks like it's been a wonderful fit for you and been perfect, but wasn't even something on your radar when you were first getting started. Exactly. Yep. It's been it's been a great um, career. It's so rewarding um, to be able to help people become active. So that was always my goal when I was looking into physical therapy. Was is there a field that I can work with? you know, humans and allow them to be more active. And that's what orthopedics, you know, orthopedics does. It's, um, I always say I'm a lifestyle surgeon, like I do things to improve people's lifestyle. I'm not going to save your life. Um, but I am the lifestyle doctor. I love that. I, you know, that's another thing too, is there are often so many different pathways to to see that ultimate vision. If you have that vision and mission of helping people be active and stay active and be healthy, you can do that as an orthopedic surgeon. You could do that as a physical therapist. You could do that as a personal trainer, right? There's a hundred different ways to get after that mission and vision. And you found the one that is the perfect fit for you and your interests and your skills and what you're passionate about. And I love um, 
thinking about really how many options there are to get after your goal. And you're just trying to find the one that works for you. Yeah, it's been really, it's, it's very rewarding. And in addition to, you know, doing my orthopedic practice where I see patients in the office and do surgery on them, I've also been very active as a team physician. So I'm actually out on the field uh, with the athletes, if they're getting injured, being able to address their injuries right then, which is kind of a little different uh, branch of medicine. And then the third the limb, third limb, which is really awesome, is I'm able to work with residents. Um, so it's like um, pay it forward, because if you don't have good instructors, I mean, I had great instructors as a resident and a fellow, um, which has allowed me to do what I'm doing now. You you have to have those good instructors to keep the field growing and train the new physicians that are coming down the pike. So that's also been super fun. I have questions about all of these things. So I'm very excited to get into all of this. I wanted to ask, though, because you've had your own practice now for, I think, a couple decades. And I was wondering, is this the first job that you had at a fellowship? Did you just immediately open your own practice? Like, how did that come about? So that's a little bit of a convoluted story, um, a little bit of convoluted, but a little bit of a straight line. So the surgeon that I shadowed in college, I ended up joining his practice and it was the first job that I had. And um, he had several other partners. And so from year one, uh, I, I was the highest producer, bringing in, doing the most number of surgeries, bringing in the most dollars. Uh, to the practice. And the second year, still as an associate, I was still the highest producer. Then as a third year, they offered me partnership. And I'm kind of looking around going, well, I'm the highest producer here. Why would I want to like have to share um, what I'm producing with two of the partners were extremely non-productive. And it didn't matter to me when I was an associate because I was an associate. But once I became a partner, there was um, there was complete sharing of the profits on the business side. So I said, you know what, I, I think I'm going to look for another job. And my senior partner, who was the one that I shadowed in uh, college, said, you know what, I'm tired of supporting these other partners. He goes, I'm going with you. So we actually left the group, um, started our own practice, and then he decided to retire down the road and well, not really retire. He wanted to slow down and he decided to become employed. <laughs> so he ended up leaving and then I had the practice on my own. So I, I've been running my own practice for um, over 11 years now where I'm solo, meaning I'm by myself. I have a physician's assistant. I'm independent, which means I am not employed by a hospital, um, which has really changed over the years because at least in the Louisville market, most of the orthopedists are now employees of hospitals, um, which has ha I've had to be very creative on getting referrals because if you're employed by a hospital, the primary care physicians that are also employed by that hospital or any physician employed by that hospital will only send to other physicians employed by that system. So, for example, in Louisville, we have uh, three major systems, and if there's a, a doctor who works for Norton Healthcare, they will never send me a referral because I'm not part of that system. So, they the hospitals keep the referrals within the system because that's how they generate profits. Uh, if they send a patient to me who's out of the system and they're not getting you know part of my salary, um, then that does they make no profit in that 
that sense. So I've had to do a lot of things with social media, use Google AdWords. We do a lot of, uh, I see a lot of referrals just from my patients who referred back to me. So I've had to become a little creative with just the referral source since the old traditional source of the primary care doctor will send it to you um, has gone away. And it was really interesting as more and more primary care physicians or internists got employed in Louisville, I had physicians that sent me patients for years. I was the only one they would send their orthopedic patients to. And then day one, they get employed by a, a hospital, the referrals would stop. So it's really, it's become interesting that physicians don't necessarily get to refer to whom they want to send patients to. It gets determined that it has to be a physician with, within that network. We have many things going on in medicine that are not amazing yeah, <laughs> at the it's moment. Been, it's been interesting. You know, the, the residents that I work with now, because um, I work with a lot of the, the internal medicine residents and the med-peds residents along with family practice, none of them even think that they can be independent. They all think they have to yeah. get employed. Uh, yeah. It doesn't even cross their mind that becoming an independent physician is an option, which is yeah. kind of sad. It is. I've been seeing some physicians who've been out in practice for a while starting to go, I don't, I just don't like this. I am frustrated and fed up at all times with this system. And I've started to see some like direct primary care uh, people are opening their own practices and doing that. And I think it's going to be a really interesting um, potential shift to take healthcare out of like the health system and out of their kind of clutches and and sort of see what shakes out from this. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. That was not something that was ever on the table for me when I was in med school or residency or fellowship, that that was never even a consideration of here's a thing that you could do. You could open your own practice. You could start your own business. That was just not discussed, not taught. It didn't seem like an option. And I think we're, we're really missing out. How did you how did you learn how to do all this? How did you learn how to run your own business and build your practice? It sounds like you've been learning new skills with the marketing to try to build that up. But how did how do you kind of stay on top of all of that? Well, the um, the so so my senior partner who decided to um, uh, be employed by a hospital system. He gave me um, two weeks notice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so I had two weeks. I had a over $10,000 per month lease on a very large space because we actually had some junior partners. Uh, we had just hired another orthopedist. We had two physician's assistants. We had 21 employees. Um, so I had two weeks to kind of figure it all out. So um, I let all the junior partners, uh, they all had non-competes. I released them all out of their non-competes. I just said, you guys are good to go. Wherever you want to go, go. Um, the employees kind of scattered. Uh, some of the employees stayed with me and it was kind of like, figure it out. Um, my husband, who's a mechanical engineer, he quit his job and started doing all the financials for the practice. Um, and it's been, you know, my salary, I think it's it like quadrupled <laughs> once I became uh, even maybe even fivefold, possibly even sixfold. What I was making when I was with the big group um, and w once I went solo, you know, I streamlined things. 
I like numbers, so I look at spreadsheets all the time. I like to see where referrals come from. Um, so I'm somewhat creative on the business side, and uh, that's really panned out where, you know, I'm seeing 200 patients a week with my PA, uh, doing about 10 surgeries a week, and have a really busy practice. I, I have really great employees. We, we It's more of a team effort at my practice, so it's it's been wonderful. And you figured that all out in two weeks. <laughs> How long did it, was, it take for that to like smooth itself out? Um, from a business perspective, we cash flowed day one. Um, so I fortunately got to keep the name, the website and the phone number, which was really important. Yeah. Um, so those referrals kept coming in and we just made, you know, just delivered a good product took care of the patients, took care of their families, um, got good results in the, in that kind of spread. As far as like, when did the stress level go down? (laughs) Probably took about six months of like, Oh my God, do I know what I'm doing? Is this okay? Or, you know, are we doing okay? Do we need, you know, do we need more employees? Do we need less employees? Do we need a different office? I mean, so it was, there was a lot of kind of just I would say chaos in my brain for about six months and then, yeah. then it settled down. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. So you mentioned also that you have been team physician and I've seen that you've been team physician for approximately every team under the sun. You have done college, high school, um, ballet, you've done uh, women's football, like WWE, you've done sort of everything. And I'm curious, especially as you're in this private practice and it's, you know, through its different configurations, but now this is a solo practice for you. When these sort of opportunities, when they come and go, how have you been deciding what to take on, what to let go? How do you sort of decide what is right for you with these additional sort of things that you're doing beyond the clinic and surgeries that are happening? So my, I have one child, um, Adam, he's 15. When I had Adam, I had to cut out a ton of my community outreach sports stuff um, because I just didn't have time. I, I felt like I couldn't be a mom and be an orthopedist and cover these teams. So um, like a lot of that kind of went away. I, I mean, I took care of L's women's soccer and lacrosse team till he was about one. And then that stopped. Um, the WWE, they were awesome, but they would come to my office. I didn't really cover their matches um, at all. The ballet was a lot of time and that stopped right around when Adam was two. I just couldn't attend all the, because you have to be there at the performances. I just couldn't go to all the performances. Um, so now I've kind of settled into where I have one uh, quad A high school that I take care of. Um, and they're amazing. There's a great athletic trainer there. She and I have been working together for years. So I cover home football on Fridays, uh, which is super fun because it keeps me, you know, in tune with what's going on on the high school level. Um, so that's kind of how that, you know, at first when I came out of fellowship, I wanted to do everything there was to do you know, with covering teams. And then when I had my son, things kind of slowed down a bit from that perspective. Yeah. It's like a really interesting point. I, I don't have any kids, so I can't speak from any sort of experience there, but 
oftentimes when we come right out of fellowship, especially if we're sports medicine, orthopedic or primary care, we have been doing a, a ton of coverage and we're taught that that's what it means to be a sports medicine physician is that you have to do all this coverage. You have to be doing all this coverage. So there's a lot of external pressure to do it. There's internal pressure because it's also fun. I think for a lot of us, we enjoy it. That's part of why we like sports medicine as a field. Um, but it can be tricky to just balance that with whatever else is going on in your life, whether it's that you have had a new child, whether you have parents that are sick or need extra help or whatever it is. And I think it's it's an interesting and important skill to figure out how to say no and what you're saying no to in order to say yes to other things and how to choose to kind of create your own boundaries and balance your own time. And I'm wondering for you, during that time, was that an easy transition? Was it easy for you to say no to all these coverage things and turn them down? Was that hard? Like, how did you figure out for you to be able to sort of set those boundaries? It was super hard because that's what I was trained to do and had done for years. Um, so, you know, if somebody had just said, hey, I want you to kind of slow down your coverage, I'd be like, no way. But the child was the one who, you know, when you're a mom, it all changes. Um, you know, they say there's um, women, they have a glass ceiling for women. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before, but women have a glass ceiling yeah. when they're trying to move up through the ranks, whether it's corporate or what other field they're in. I don't think it's a glass ceiling. I think it's a crib. <laughs> so once you have children, it just kind of changes your focus with your time. And for the first two years after I had my son, you know, I basically just came to work, did his, did did what I had to do at work and then was was home. And then as he's gotten older, I've been able to venture out and do more, you know, community things. You know, I'm active on a couple of different boards in town. So those those kind of things changed as he's gotten older. But during those first, you know, two to five years, I really was just focused on getting home as soon as I absolutely could to see him. And then when he started school, you know, that during the day that frees your time up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. You So speaking of all these other things that you are up to, because you are up to a lot, um, some of what you've been up to. So your own practice is a business, but you have also been a member of the National Association of Women Business Owners. You've won a couple small business awards. Um, and in addition to this ortho practice, you also are co-owner of several F45 training fitness facilities and NC executive rentals. And I just want to know all about this. Like, with everything that you're doing, your busy orthopedic practice, your son, your team coverage, like why take on multiple side businesses, not even just one? And then how do you balance it all? And what have you learned by being a business owner? I'm a multitasker for sure. Um, so when I come home, the focus is on home. You know, so when I'm at work, the focus is on work. The um, so my my home rental business is it just kind of was a weird business I got into five years ago. There we have a very unique neighborhood in Louisville. It's a new neighborhood. It's called Norton Commons. It's a traditional walking neighborhood. So it's houses are very close. There's a lot of green space. Um, it's probably the only neighborhood in Louisville where kids are out running around riding their bikes and playing pickup soccer or football games. It's like kind of the old fashioned neighborhoods that you think of from the 50s or 60s. And um, people love to live there. 
and the houses are ridiculously expensive. But early on, I bought 20 houses and I now rent them. They're high-end rentals. The rents go between um, $3,800 a month to $5,000 a month. And um, it's been a really fun experience because the people that rent the houses from me are all professionals because it's expensive, those price points. So I deal with them directly. Um, they're very most of them are very low maintenance and it's been kind of an easy business for me. Um, but it, there, there is a bit of work as far as like, you know, leases and making sure their, their financial information is entered into my ACH. And, um, when somebody moves out, I have to schedule different subs to come in and paint, blah, blah, blah. But most of that gets done in between patients at work. Um, thank God for my iPhone. Like, I don't know how people (laughs) function before smartphones. (laughs) Because I run my universe from my smartphone. Um, so, and then the F45s, um, that's been a super fun learning experience. Um, and I got into that because to me it was like completing the circle. So I am an athlete. I am a surgeon. I fix athletes. And now I offer this really awesome workout um, called F45. But I am very peripherally involved with that. I do all the financials, like I write all the checks, I do the QuickBooks, I make a lot of the financial decisions, but my partners actually are there day-to-day running the, the fitness studios, they coach, um, so they they do, I would say, 90% of the work uh, on those, Yeah, that business. This is incredible to be doing all of this on top of having a medical practice and being a mom, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. 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 My son is busy, busy. Like he's, he's a very active tennis player. He's a musician. He does really well in school. Um, so I spend a lot of time with him running him around and going to his events. And, um, so yeah, being a mom is a great job. That's, that's also, that's my number one job. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. You had mentioned earlier that part of you work with a lot of residents, and I know you also work with undergrads, you mentor student athletes interested in going into medicine and orthopedic surgery. Um, and I was and you sort of already said, but I was gonna ask just what do you like about teaching and and why include that into your private practice when you're not an academic physician, you're not trying to go up for full professorship or put together your academic, you know, profile. Um, why stay involved with that and and keep teaching? Well, I, I think it's definitely we need to pay it forward to to the physicians that are coming down the pike. Um, I come from a whole line of teachers in my family. My mother is a teacher. My father is a teacher. You know, my grandmothers were teachers. So it's like I have this whole line of I think it's in my DNA. Um but they also kind of bring a breath of fresh air to the office. You know, they ask questions, they're excited about things. And um, so it's, it's, it's a, I really feel like it's almost a give and take. I, I love being able to teach them and I love to see their excitement. And when they come in and they can't give a cortisone injection and they leave a month later and they can give an injection with, you know, easy peasy and it doesn't hurt the patient, that's all, that's really rewarding. So it's rewarding on both ends. Yeah. As also a teacher who comes from teachers, I completely feel you there. It's just like such a wonderful thing when when a learner gets something, like when you see them start to understand some new whatever. It could be a skill. It could be just a piece of knowledge, figuring out how they learn. I just 
I agree. Love it. It's so much fun. Okay. So I ask everyone, but what particular challenges have you had in your career? What things have been difficult that you've had to overcome or things that you still struggle with today? Um, I, you know, just, it's just not doing anything about business. I mean, I wish they would teach a business course in medical school. I think it's really important. Um, they should just teach a semester business course like this is a contract. What do you need to look at when you're get presented with a contract? I mean, I was, you know, kind of fortunate. I, I mean, I went into my my first job. I didn't know anything. I signed contracts. I had an attorney look at it, but I, I didn't really understand the whole contractual thing. So it would have been nice um, to know, to have a little idea of what you're getting into, because medicine is a business just like any other, you know, um, sort of company or practice and just having a better understanding from that would be good. Um, I'm kind of fortunate, you know, I'm a female in orthopedics. There's only about 4% of us that are women. I'm very fortunate to have never had any, what I would consider barriers because of my gender. Um, I'm part of a women's face, orthopedic women's Facebook group. There's about 1500 of us. And Oh my, I, I just, I've been so fortunate not to have the problems that so many of these women have run into, um, whether it's being sexually harassed in the operating room when they were residents, um, whether it's having contracts where they know they're getting paid less than their colleagues who are males, um, whether it's not being able to take time off of work because of maternity. I mean, just there is unbelievable challenges out there with a lot of female orthopedists that fortunately I just haven't had. So I'm very great, grateful for that. Um, so I, I guess just the biggest challenge is you have to be able to change in this business environment. You can't be set in your ways. You have to learn new technology. You have to learn about, you know, social media. You, you can't just say, oh, that's for the kids or, oh, I'm not going to learn what AdWords are or, you know, I mean, this it's just, it's a constant, it's a constant learning. And if you don't embrace that, you will be left behind. So I feel like, I feel like I always am trying to learn something new to kind of stay with what is current. So that would be probably the biggest challenge is just keeping up with, with whatever is new. Yeah. I think that's especially hard. Um, and a lot of times, especially as a physician, you're, you're often this sort of type A perfectionist. You are already an expert in something and starting over to learn something new from the beginning that you're not already good at. is like really hard to go. Let me try this new thing that I don't know how to do because I've been operating at this expert level where I do know everything, you know, like and, and maybe not everything, but you know, like how to figure things out because you know where all the resources are that will help you learn like whatever that diagnosis is and you're fine and starting over in something completely different, whether it's business or social media or advertising is like, okay, we're starting from scratch here. I have to be a newbie again. It's been a long time since I was a first-year med student or an intern who didn't know any better. And it can be an uncomfortable feeling to start over, to learn something new, to try something different that you don't automatically know you're going to be good at. I I so agree. Yes, that's said perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, I, but I think that your attitude for having done all of this is 
why you have this successful career and have this successful practice and have been able to, like you said, six times your income from the practice because you keep figuring all this out and learning these new things. And I imagine each time you learn something new, it gets easier to learn something new. I, I agree with you because it's, it's um, you know, we have to get our, in orthopedics, we have to do this board recertification exam every year. And just to sit down and study for it is so much harder than it was when you were in medical school. <laughs> yeah, that's all you did was study. So like, that's what you're used to doing. So the more you do something, the better you get at it. So I agree with you. The fact that I have to keep learning new things makes it easier than if I only had to learn a new thing every year versus like, it seems like every month or something yes. that has to be learned. So yeah. Yes, that has been a big thing for me getting this podcast started and my course and doing all this is is been all new. It's been learning how to podcast, it's been learning how to social media, like you said, all these things. And it is it can be frustrating at times because you're not an expert at it and because you have to figure it out. And there's it feels like every day some new thing that you don't know and you have to learn. But the more you keep tackling it and the more that you learn and figure out, the more I think you can start to trust yourself that you will figure it out, that the next challenge that comes along, you might not know the answer to, but you also have proved to yourself that you are somebody who figures it out and that you can go learn it and make it happen. I agree. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Okay. What particular triumphs have you had in your career? What things are you really proud of? Um, I'm really proud that I don't have to be employed. <laughs> I cannot imagine being employed by a hospital and told me, telling me when I have to go to work, what vacation I can take, how many patients I have to see, who my you know team members are, um, what my call schedule is. I just cannot imagine it. So I would say I am most proud that I am independent of being employed by a hospital and am still able to run a successful practice. Um, yeah, I can't. In fact, I had one of my colleagues reach out to me. They're trying to form a group of physicians to join like a really big group of physicians to try to increase how much they're paid on their their um, contracts. Because if you have a bigger group of physicians, so if you're a group of 100 physicians and you go to an anthem and say, listen, you know, we want to be paid X amount of dollars for a rotator cuff repair, they will sit down and talk to you. But if you're like at a a group of two physicians that say we want to be paid more for rotator cuff surgery they're like whatever you're only two doctors we're not listening to you so I had this group approach me and they started saying well you know you would be employed by us and you'd be this y and z I was like oh my god <laughs> at this point in my career I don't care how much extra money I would be <laughs> I do not want to be employed by anybody yes the benefits of that independence and the autonomy Right. outweigh that potential and only potential right because then are you on their call schedule are you on their vacation plan like are you right. all those other things that you don't get to control exactly I, I I think it's incredible that you have this practice that's your practice that you own that you run and I you know personally am in awe and think it's really an amazing amazing thing to have built up especially knowing how we get zero training and how to do that <laughs> whatsoever, you know? So I just think it's incredible. And I've gone on to, um, first of all, thank you. I've gone on to like, I'm, I'm in an office building 
that's um, right across the street from one of the main hospital systems. And um, I was renting the office building from a from three orthopedists who had become employed. And so I was I was renting it through the hospital in the sense that they were managing the property for these three orthopedists who had become employed. And they decided the orthopedists that they wanted to sell the the office, the condo unit. And so the hospital came to me and said, listen, um, we are going to buy this condo unit and then we will decide if you can still stay or not. And I was like, oh, my God, they can kick me out. Like yeah. if they own this. So I circled back to the three orthopedists and said, I'm buying this from you. And they're like, well, the hospital already offered us X, Y, and Z. I said, name your price. <laughs> I'm going to buy this condo from you. So I ended up buying the condo from the orthopedists and then actually bought the, they had two condos that are connected. I bought the the other one also. So now I sublet the condo that's next to me, which covers my mortgage <laughs> on the condo so that I'm currently using. And it's appreciating every year um, just because of where the location, but then I get to depreciate it every year because it's a real estate purchase. So it helps me on my taxes. So it's, it's those kind of things that like when those things come to you, you have to be able to make decisions, look at the numbers. Um, is this financially a good idea? If I didn't buy it, I could be without an office. You know, that yeah. would be horrible. Um, so it's those kind of things that you just have to do if you want to maintain your independence and your ability to, you know, keep your own practice. That is just incredibly badass. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. It's like you're, you own the whole chain, like, you know, the whole manufacturing process, you own the entire line. You're like, this is my building. This is my practice. This is how I'm handling this. And, and it's even bringing you in more money to own the other building. And like, this is just a mindset that is, like we're not taught, I feel like in medicine at all. Like we are trained to be employees. Like we are trained to be afraid to go out and do it on our own. And you're just crushing it. And I'm, yeah, completely in awe. I love this. Yeah, I think it's, it's, I, I don't, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned earlier about direct primary care and to your listeners, that's when you're like a, an internist that you, um, you, your patients will pay you like $50 a month and you only have 300 patients and that will allow you a decent income, but then you get full access to the, to the internist. Like you get appointments same day, you can text them if you have questions, um, which is a new model. And the, I would say there's a, there's a group of independents or direct primary care in Louisville. And it's interesting. They have, they're kind of like the top docs that mm -hmm. have gone out yeah, and they're able to, you know, take with them a group of patients and be able to, to do this. Um, so I do always tell the residents, I'm like, listen, guys, you don't have to become employed. You can do this. We call it concierge medicine. Um, you can do concierge medicine and that is an option for you. And I think you're going to see, like you said, we're seeing more and more of it. I, I think you'll see more and more of it because the hospitals are, you know, they treat us like, they call us providers now. Yes. You're thrown in with the nurse practitioners. Now, I think there's nothing wrong with a nurse practitioner yeah. or physician's assistant. I have utmost respect. But they have 10,000 hours less training than an MD does. Yes. So let's just get that out there. So um, uh, we're we're put in, we're now all providers. Um, 
so that that extra training, those extra years of residency don't really matter to a yeah. hospital because they're billing, they're, they use us as entities. Um, so that's, it's really kind of depersonalized the whole system. And, and I don't know if the general public realizes this, but the physicians, they have to make what's called RVUs, which is they have to see X amount of patients do X amount of procedures or their salary gets cut. Um, and that's also how they get bonus. So there's an incentive to be very, very busy <laughs> and to see patients very, very quickly and order lots and lots of MRI scans and do lots of surgeries because that's that's how the physicians can keep their salaries. So it's just a weird system that just yeah. didn't used to be the way it was in the past. And yeah. I think there will be some circling back, uh, like you mentioned, with this concierge medicine. It is a very weird place, and it'll be interesting to see how things shake out. Um because you're right, you know, as a physician, you've been through years of schooling, right? Like not just an extra six months or an extra year, but right, right. like a physician has had 15,000 clinical hours and potentially a nurse practitioner PA might have had 500. And so the requirements are so incredibly different and it's hard to be lumped together and go, yep, this is just as valuable. You're both providers. We're good to go. And um so I think that when I see physicians, women especially, just go open their own practice and open their own business and decide to kind of make their own way and not necessarily feel like they have to follow this traditional path of employed medicine, I just think it's incredible and I think it's a great opportunity to get back to like, yes, I just want to take care of the patients. Thank you. But <laughs> let me focus on that. Let me actually set up for that and do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. Last question. Uh, you've already had wonderful advice, but I will ask a final advice. What career advice do you have for other women? I think it's really important to do what you love. Um, I have a bunch of friends who hate their jobs um and it's really they they're like you love your job I'm like I love my job like you don't love your job like how do you do it every day so I think early on you know when you're trying to figure out what you want to do for you know the rest of your life pursue whatever is passionate to you and then figure that out how you can make that into a career um so if it's medicine, figure out what form of medicine you you like the best and, you know, pursue pursue that pathway. And, you know, maybe you love music, but you also have a, um, a love for business Then maybe you should go into music management. So just figuring out what you love early on and go down that pathway, because if you go down a pathway of something, you know, you're not really passionate about, you are going to you end up switching careers or you'll be miserable. So yeah. just pursue, you know, I always say we have one life here that we know about. We might come back as a plant, but right now we're here as a human. You're only here once. Take care of your, you know, your body, take care of your mind and make sure you have a job you like to go to because it's really important because you only get one. You're only here once. So try to enjoy it and maximize it while you're here. I love it. That's excellent advice. Stacey, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your story, for sharing such really great advice. And I think you're going to be an inspiration to a lot of women out there for everything that you are doing and accomplishing and loving while you're doing it. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 
Thank you for joining me for another episode of the Madam Athlete Podcast. I love talking to Dr. Stacey Grossfeld and hearing the advice that she has for women in any business, especially as a business owner myself. As always, you can find out more about Stacey in the show notes at madamathlete.com. If you're looking for a way to keep up with this community of other awesome women getting after their career and the wisdom that they have to share, come find us on social media. You can follow us on Instagram at The Madam Athlete and on Facebook and Twitter at Madam Athlete. And if you want to drop me a note and say hello, probably Instagram is the best way to do that. So I'll see you over there at The Madam Athlete. And thanks for being here. I appreciate you. Mm-hmm.